It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Welcome to the Macca's Run with Sam Hargraves. With special sauce and juicy beef, grab the one and only Big Mac at Macca's today. Ah, yes, indeed. Very good evening to you. Welcome to the Macca's Run for this Tuesday. I hope you've had as good a day as you possibly can, however you've been putting it in, wherever you've been putting it in. Great to have you on board the Macca's Run. Grab the one and only Big Mac at Macca's today. However you're finding us, wherever you're finding us, right around the country on the SEN network. It is great to have your company with special sauce and juicy beef. Grab the one and only Big Mac at Macca's today. We catch up on all the biggest stories and conversation points in sport for the day and give you your chance to have your say on the news of the day on the Harcourts open line, your move, your Harcourts for all things real estate. Make sure you speak to Harcourts. If you can't call in, and I'd love you to, you can text in 0433981116 if you've got something to add uh, to the overall conversation. Temper a mattress like no other. So normally we like to divide uh, the, the stories of the day into back page, which is really just footy related, what's going on on the field. Uh, and then the front page stuff, unfortunately, more to do with the stuff that happens off the field. And as we know, there's plenty of that uh, as well. So we're going to work through the, some of the major stories of today. Um, in a little while, I want to ask you, there's some big-name players starting to make their return to injury. So what we know now is that there are 12 teams that are going to make up the top eight. It's down to 12 teams after round 14 that can make the top eight. So Brisbane, Melbourne, Fremantle, Geelong, Carlton, Richmond, Sydney, St Kilda, who make up the top eight, and then Collingwood, the Dogs, the Suns, and the power coming after them. All the top eight teams are going to play another top eight team uh, this weekend, which is very, very exciting. I want to know of the, the the injured players currently out of the side. Who's the most vital to their team's chances of success? I'm going to go through them with you a little bit later on, but start thinking about that. You can do it for your team or another team. Of the players that are currently injured, who will have the biggest impact and have the biggest say in their team's chances of success. We'll do that a little later on as well. Um, the other big story this week from a non-footy point of view has been Fina's decision um, that transgender women would no longer be able to compete at the elite international level unless they, unless they have gone through their transition before the age of 12. They've pro- proposed an open category for, tra- for transgender women. Um, they've done this in consultation with an athletes group, including our Kate Campbell, a, a legal and human rights group, and a science and medical group that included experts in physiology, endocrinology, human performance, sex difference in human performance, and transgender medicine, experts in that field. So there's, it, this is a very complex and, and complicated conversation. And I thought that we might learn a little bit of something about the science because there's, there's a lot of misnomers and mistruths that are, that are peddled. Whatever side of this conversation you sit on, you would have heard some pretty wild things being said. So I thought we would actually get an endocrinologist to come on the show. So at 6.30, 
um, Associate Professor Ada Chung um, at Austin Health, who's one of the country's leading endocrinologists, is just going to come on and explain the science side of this to us. So I hope that you'll stick around to hear that chat. It is um, a big topic in sport at the moment, and these decisions are landmark decisions in sport. So we'll try and learn a little bit more um, so that when we form our own opinions, we can do so uh, as informed opinions. Um, all right, let's start going through, obviously, the biggest stories of the day. It uh, is Collingwood. Uh, last five days have sort of been dominated by uh, Jordan Degoe and what went on in Bali. Said a lot, I've said all the way through this, there's, there's three issues to this. There's the actual going to Bali and whether or not you, you think that that's uh, okay or not okay. Um, what was seen in those videos that the, the woman involved posted uh, on Instagram, uh, whether or not that is Jordan's hand, it would seem by the way that Collingwood have approached this today that it is. They're not disputing that it is his hand uh, and the message that that sends and what that portrays from his own point of view and Collingwood's point of view in terms of our attitudes towards women. And then there's also what Jordan has expressly said in, a, in his statement about um, that came out via Instagram after the fact uh, in regards to the media's treatment of players. So uh, we, we've been sitting and waiting and wondering how Collingwood were going to address this situation, how they viewed. It was all going to come down to how Collingwood viewed the actions of Jordan Degoe. And today they released uh, a statement in relation to that. Uh, and their CEO, Mark Anderson, spoke to media today. Uh, there was certainly uh, one aspect of that that we were really concerned about. And, and the, the, the social media content and the video that showed him uh, basically disrespecting women and, uh, and tugging at the clothing, that was something that for us, in addition to some other things, but that was a thing that for us we couldn't tolerate and showed that it was disrespectful of women and it's something as a club that we can't stand for and don't stand for. Yeah, I won't contact, uh, discuss uh, contracts and specific contracts. I wouldn't do that with any player and, and certainly won't discuss that with uh, Jordan's contract. But what is clear is that we'll be entering the discussions with Jordan about his contract at the end of the year and speak on his own behalf. But what was really clear uh, from us, and he understood and owned it, was that he needed to own the behaviours, own the result of those behaviours, and he's accepted that, and he's apologetic, and he understands the impact of his behaviours. So that's Collingwood CEO Mark Anderson uh, earlier on this afternoon. Collingwood's statement strongly condemning, in their words, a disrespectful conduct of player Jordan Ngoi, shown in footage taken in Bali, where he chose to spend the mid-season by period. Um, so their club said they have a very strong position on the disrespect towards women in any form is never acceptable, and they strongly condemn it. Um, they've spoken at length to Jordan, as he said. Uh, Jordan's currently undergoing a counselling program, which he began earlier this year, together with a club psychologist to further continue his awareness of himself and improve his behaviours and decision-making off the football field. So in addition to that counselling that's continuing, he'll undergo further behavioural education for his conduct. Um, he's also been given a sanction of... $25,000. That's been suspended until the end of the club's 2022 season uh, and he needs to be of good behaviour until then. So they so they don't condone his conduct but they'll continue to support um, and they'd like to reiterate that their club has very strong values which includes respect, tolerance and condemnation of irresponsible behaviour. We expect everyone at our club to uphold those values without compromise. So Jordan um, released a statement off the back of that as well. He has accepted 
responsibility and apologise for his actions. He said, I unreservedly apologise to the Collingwood Footy Club and its members, supporters, the wider football, uh, the wider community for my conduct in Bali, and I fully accept, I accept full responsibility for my actions. The actions shown in the video footage are disrespectful, and I accept that I have betrayed the trust the club showed in me by allowing me to take my mid-season break overseas. I fully accept that as an AFL player, I have a unique role in the community, a unique leadership role in the community, and with that role comes responsibility. Um, he talks about his actions falling short of the standards that he expects of himself, um, as he is a footballer, he is a person, and he is a representative of the Collingwood Footy Club. Um, he talks about how hard he's worked this year to establish the trust and confidence um, to make better decisions, and it's through no one's fault but his own that he has undone that trust. Interestingly, and, and this wasn't something I don't think um, any of us outside the club would have been aware of, that he was diagnosed with ADHD, um, and he spoke about that and that he is trying to become more aware of why he makes the mistakes that he does, having made again made a mistake. He says, this is an ongoing journey for me, and I remain absolutely committed to change. He's going to seek further support to take the appropriate and necessary steps to learn and improve uh, as a person. And then he apologised again for his conduct uh, he knows that he's let people down and he knows that he needs to, again, rebuild trust. That he's, But he's committed to making himself the best person he can be and believes that the best chance uh, he has to do that is in the environment where he has the support of his teammates uh, and of his club as well. So that's uh, from Jordan Ngoi today. We haven't seen um, a video of him or, or anything else like that. It's just the written statement that we've seen so far. And then Mark Anderson, who's fronted media today, the Collingwood CEO. He was asked about uh, Jordan Ngoi and spoke about Jordan owning his behaviour. No, Jordan's owning this behaviour. He's stepping in and he's taking accountability and responsibility for his actions. And that was critical for us as a club uh, in the discussions we've had with Jordan over the last days, he's very clear on that and owning it and taking responsibility. And that was really important for us. Mark Anderson also uh, spoke to whether they considered dis- suspending Jordan Degoe. Uh We considered a number of aspects and, and, uh, and this is where we've landed based on having all of the information and considering all of the circumstances and, and what we did stand for as a club. Uh, and we believe this is the right outcome uh, given all the context of the information we received. He also spoke to whether Jordan Ngoi would play this weekend. Selection this week. The important thing of today is that uh, we're addressing the behaviours today uh, and I can't answer that question today. I think uh, what's most important for us as a football club and for Jordan is that uh, we're fronting into this being open about it uh, and need to be and, and be very transparent. Uh, what comes after this, um, that's the, the priority of Sunday, is, is not the priority as we stand here on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, today is about addressing the values and behaviours of what we expect from our players. The rest will come later. I can't answer that question as to whether he'll play on Sunday or not. Uh, the course of the week will tell that. So that was Mark Anderson uh, in a lengthy press conference today in relation to the club and, and where they've seen fit to and how they've seen fit to penalise Jordan Ngoi. It's, uh, there actually aren't any sanctions for Jordan Ngoi. Uh, there's just further counselling and, um, and further education that, they, that he will undertake himself and the club will ask him to undertake as well. And the $25,000 fine has been suspended uh, until the end of the year. Importantly, though, they have also put contract talks on hold 
until the end of the year. So Michael Gleeson in the Age reported last night that the offer of two years with a trigger for another two, at a reported $800,000 a year, had been taken from the table. Uh, so your view, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Is that penalty just? Um, Collingwood have clearly said that the actions in the video don't meet the standards uh, of the club. Every workplace has um, standards, minimum standards that they set for their employees and they have social media policies. So this is them as an employer um, speaking to theirs and what they will and what they won't accept. Um, but but no actual sanction for Jordan Ngoi, which surprises me. I was interested to find out that Jordan Ngoi had been diagnosed with ADHD and it was really interesting to hear uh, Andy and Gazy speak to former AFL player Heath Black uh, in regards to ADHD and he went into detail explaining what it is uh, and what it feels like. This is only my real personal experience of, of how I feel with ADHD and it's constantly chasing stimulation. Um, you've mm. got that real impulsive behaviour. So AFL footy, chasing stimulation, it was a great game to be involved in. And I think having ADHD is a real positive for, for athletes um, and if, he, if you can channel it in the right way. Impulsive behaviour linked to, to risky behaviour on and off the field. Um, I got in trouble with the law a lot. Um, your brain is like a motor um, and it feels like my condition is called ADHD type 6 and it's called the ring of fire. So my brain's essentially on fire, guys. It is just constantly racing and on the go. I struggle with uh, having to problem solve. Uh, if I'm not not really uh, fixed on a task, I won't. I just won't engage. Um, people with ADHD, that fight or flight, they'll always be in the fight mode. You become extremely protective of your loved ones and actually quite possessive at times. Um, your short-term memory loss is huge because the racing thoughts through the day are going through your mind so quickly that I forget where my keys are, where my mobile phone is. I have to set a real routine. Um, if I don't get through my, my to-do list per day, that's when anxiety kicks in. And a lot of people don't think that ADHD is attributed to anxiety. Well, it really is. And anxiety is really high. So um, if you're not ticking those goals, you'll find that ADHD people are really high achievers. And if they don't achieve the highs, they'll naturally beat themselves up. You have to own it. And no mental health condition, in my opinion, is a excuse for behaviour. Um, but what we do have to do in a society is support these people in any form of work, whether it's in the mining industry, AFL industry, whatever it is, put the support networks in place to give them the best opportunity to be the best version of themselves in relation to their mental health journey. Because the urges of the massive amounts of energy that a person with ADHD has is really addictive, but it's tiring. So the way that you release to bring your levels down to the normal person in society is often drink alcohol mm. because it's a sedative. A lot of people on ADHD don't take drugs because they don't need to take cocaine or speed because their brain is actually probably wired like they are on those illicit drugs, if that makes sense. Mm. So, so hey. it's a very, very unique um, uh, and, and, as I said, misunderstood diagnosis. So that's Heath Black explaining from his perspective and his experience with it what ADHD is um, and, and what it feels like. He also made the point to say that it's not an excuse for 
for poor behaviour. And he also gave some indication on what happens with the energy levels, the role that alcohol can play, um, and that that it can often feel like uh, you're on drugs given uh, how wide that you are. So ADHD, uh, one of the most, it is quite a common neurodevelopmental disorder, um, but often diagnosed in childhood. So to hear that Jordan's been diagnosed late last year, I think, and I don't think anyone's excusing behaviour, but it provides context around impulse because people have often questioned, doesn't he... You know, why doesn't he exercise better judgment or better self-control and things like that? So this might help to answer some of those questions for, for people. one three hundred seven three six seven three six. your say on the news of the day. The other statement that Collingwood have had to release today, by the way, please spare a thought for Collingwood's new media manager. It's her first day today. I'm fairly sure it's her first day today, the, the new um, head of media at Collingwood. What a first day to walk into. Uh, so the other statement is in regards to the TikTok video uh, that Jack Ginnivan and Isaac Quainor involved themselves in, which uh, from what I'm led to believe, um, I have no idea about TikTok and what it is actually for, what it does. Um, it, I would feel like I'm far too old to be involving myself in any of that. But I did some reading on it today about this craze and it apparently started with a couple of uh, women, uh, a couple of women who were um, TikTok influencers in the US who started doing it along the lines of the, if the guy's a 10, but he still lives at home with his parents. Um, more about finding a, a match for yourself. Um, and it's been, it's blown up around TikTok all around the world. Uh, Jack Ginnivan and Isaac Quainor had a crack at it themselves and, and probably went down a path with it that, uh, yeah, it wasn't uh, in the spirit. And again, it didn't meet the standards that the club is looking for the players to uphold. Uh, so their statement today, uh, Collingwood Footy Club players Jack Ginnivan and Isaac Quainer have apologised for a video posted on the social media platform. The club is aware of Jack Ginnivan's since-deleted social media post where he and teammate Isaac Quainer took part in a TikTok trend. After speaking to the club, the players understood it's not acceptable trend to participate in and immediately removed the video from their social media platforms. The players have apologised to everyone at the club and across all programs, members in the wider community for the impact of their actions. In addition to apologising, the players will undertake further education on the appropriate use of social media and the respect to the content they create. Um, so again, it's it's going down the path of of how of, of respect towards women and the the misogynistic element that can be within there, which I don't think they would have intended, and I don't believe for a moment that that was uh, the, and the, where they were intending that video to go. But it did start to come through, and I think especially when the homeless comment was made, I think Collingwood, given that they've got the magpie nest, they do a lot of work in the homeless space. I, I think that would have been one that they would have been really disappointed in I don't think there was any malice in it from these guys they were just involving themselves in a craze but uh, as footballers who represent their club and like we all represent our employees it didn't meet the standards that they're setting and it didn't meet the the, the cultural identity that they're looking to create um, so they've issued uh, this apology themselves too as we go to the break and I'll come back on the other side with your calls hey guys just wanted to jump on here and apologize for the TikTok video uh, we did a trend that we did not think about before posting and we're really sorry for the uh, for making the mistake of participating in it and then posting it. Uh, we've since realised that it's just not acceptable when it's, it, doesn't realign, it doesn't align with the values that both of us hold. Uh, we'll keep learning um, about what we should and shouldn't post as there's a lot to learn from. We're sorry to everyone in the club across all platforms, our members, supporters for any impact we have caused. Thanks guys and we're so sorry again. Welcome to the Macca's Run with Sam Hargraves. 
With special sauce and juicy beef, grab the one and only Big Mac at Macca's today. On the Harcourts open line, you'll move your Harcourts. Marie and Berwick. Marie, far away. Hi, a couple of quick points, yeah. I can't believe that Collingwood have once again displayed its typical, and I'm a Collingwood supporter, and historical patriarchal nature. Considering the most important person in this situation is the girl involved, and she said she was not disrespected. So Collingwood have decided that her opinion is irrelevant, I think I heard mentioned. So they've decided that they know better than her, and she's at the centre. And I'd just like to make a comparison of the publicity this has got compared to when the Richmond boys were in Queensland and broke COVID uh, protocols, broke the law, went to a stripper's, disrespected women, and got involved in a punch-up, took part in violence. Compare that to Jordan Degoe dancing with the girl. I cannot believe it. Uh, Marie, thank you. I appreciate your thoughts. I believe that those, I'd have to go back and check, but I think the Richmond guys were actually suspended um, for what uh, happened with them and, and, and what they did in breaking COVID protocols. Uh, but we'd have to make sure we double check that to, to see that I'm right. Uh, Brett's in Baldwin. G'day, Brett. G'day, mate. Um, Sam, I was actually going to ring up and have a crack at you know, the statement that ADHD is an excuse as I'm a sufferer myself until I heard that explanation by my player's name. Heath Black. Um, Heath Black. I'll tell you what, I'd love to have a chat with Heath because he's just out, explained to me exactly the things that I couldn't explain to anyone and I'm blown away by hearing it. It really has made a massive difference for me tonight. I've always struggled with it, never understood it. I couldn't explain it to people and my behaviours in times have been similar. Um, so I now understand a little bit better, and I reckon if someone was to say to Nick Kyrgios, go and get tested for ADHD, I reckon you might find he's in the same boat too. So thank you very much. I really appreciated hearing that tonight. Oh, I'm glad you got so much out of it. The full chat, um, Brett, is um, at sen.com.au on their podcast page, and um, I- I'm-, I'm so glad that you are able to find something in it for you, um, and I hope that you are getting the, the treatment that you need, mate. Um, Stay on the line. We'll follow up with you on that as well. Uh, when we come back, uh, Associate uh, Professor of Endocrinology, uh, Dr Ada Chung from Austin Health. Welcome to the Macca's Run with Sam Hargraves. With special sauce and juicy beef, grab the one and only Big Mac at Macca's today. Uh, just before we get into our feature interview of the evening, just went and double-checked the penalty for the uh, Richmond players. Marie and Berwick uh, rang up earlier, uh, not happy with Collingwood's response um, in relation to Jordan Degoe, um, 10 matches for Sydney Stack and Callum Coleman-Jones who broke COVID protocols and got into that fight. So uh, no suspension for Jordan Degoe. The fine is $25,000 suspended. So actually no penalties at all, just further education for Jordan Degoe um, who has form in this area and has had previous education uh, in this area. The AFL have ticked off the penalty as well in a statement today. Uh, they won't be taking it uh, any further. FINA yesterday announcing that transgender women would no longer be able to compete at the elite level uh, competition unless they transition before the age of 12. Uh, they've instead proposed to establish an open category for transgender women, transgender men still able to compete in the men's events. FINA say after consultation with athletes groups including Kate Campbell, uh, a legal and human rights groups, a science and medical group that included um, included 
science uh, included experts in physiology, endocrinology, human performance, sex difference, and human performance and transgender medicine. International Rugby League has uh, made a similar ban today. So I thought, let's find out a little bit more about this and educate ourselves. It's a complex situation, one that needs to be tackled with empathy and an open mind uh, and respect on all sides. Um, fairness up against inclusion, two pillars of sport. Um, a professor, uh, an associate professor and a leading endocrinologist at the Austin at Austin Health is Dr. Ada Chung, who's been uh, good enough to try and enlighten us on some of the science behind these decisions. So associate professor uh, Ada Chung, uh, can you just explain first and foremost what endocrinology is? Sure. Um, thanks for having me on the show, Sam. So endocrinology is um, the study of hormones. So hormones are things like testosterone and estrogen, and they drive, um, you know, the differences between men and women. Um, and so what I do is I treat, as a doctor, I treat anyone who has, you know, a, an abnormality or a, or a problem with their hormones, and that includes transgender people who will who may need hormone therapy to affirm their gender. So what role would the endocrinologist have played in FINA's consultation to come to the decision that they did? I'm sure that they would have had endocrinologists, I presume. I don't know who was involved, but endocrinologists um, understand how hormones affect the body and they understand how testosterone, the main male hormone, affects the body and how estrogen affects the body. And I'm sure they would also have scientists who would mm. have done research in this space as well, I presume. Yeah, they stated uh, the experts that they used, and endocrinologists were one of those first mentioned. So what did you think of the decision, but also the explanation from FINA, that according to their experts who they consulted, they believe that unless you transitioned before puberty, that you have an unfair advantage over cisgender women or, or traditional women, as some like to say, whilst we, whilst also saying they have to protect the right of athletes to compete, um, we also have to protect competitive fairness at our events. I think that it's a really difficult decision for sporting organisations to make and, and governments and um, when there's very little research in the space. So, you know, we know that men and women are different. Biological males tend to have high testosterone, low estrogen. Biological females, who are adults, tend to have high estrogen, low testosterone, typically less than two nanomoles per litre, whereas a man will have something between 10 to 30. We know that there's a difference, and that's why sport is segregated into female and male categories. But that doesn't always capture the diversity that is amongst humans. And what we don't know is how, what happens to a transgender woman who's transitioned from male to female, had feminising hormone therapy with their sex hormones, testosterone and estrogen, actually in the female reference range. How does that impact on sporting performance and fitness and endurance. And so that research is very scant. So transgender health has been taboo for years, um, uh, you know, it, and it's not just transgender health, but also transgender research has been taboo. And so we're really in the infancy stage of this research. Um, what we do know is that when someone starts feminising hormone therapy, typically we will raise their estrogen and drop their testosterone to less than two, so in the cisgender female range. And when we do that, we know that muscle mass decreases, muscle strength decreases, 
bone density decreases and they develop the body composition of a of a of a female and also hemoglobin which is the oxygen carrying red blood cells that are important for um, endurance and um, you may have heard of blood doping where people try and increase their red blood cells the opposite happens in trans women so their hemoglobin drops to a typical cisgender female levels and, and these changes start to occur within three months and only one study has followed trans women out to three years and that only involved like 19 trans women who were not athletes and it showed that even at three years their muscle mass and muscle strength were still declining um, so what is not known is how long does someone need to transition for for these changes to plateau and also what isn't known is how does this actually compare to say a cisgender woman or a cisgender man who's matched for height so muscle strength is like dependent on lots of things, including height. Um, and, you know, there haven't been adequate comparison groups that have followed trans women over time, um, and let alone in trans athletes. There's just so few of them that um, there's very hard to get research in this space. So FINA have stated that they're that um, there are sex-linked biological differences in aquatics, especially amongst elite athletes due to substantially higher testosterone, testosterone as a result of male puberty. They've also said that additional advantages men have if they have been through puberty and then transition are larger lungs, hearts, feet and hands and longer bones. From what you're telling us, that's not an absolute. And there's the evidence that we do have might, all, might actually be to the contrary. Well, that is what... FEMA have stated that male puberty does result in these things, okay? And some of these things, some characteristics are reversible and some characteristics are not reversible. So things like lung size, feet and hands and bone shape are not reversible after you start feminising hormone therapy. The data on the heart is not clear. We have some data that questions that. Um, and cardiac capacity. We know muscle function changes and you know some of the other features that I described before change. But what we don't know is there's a lot of difference in you know all people, whether that be men or women. And someone with a larger stature, so a typical trans woman will probably be taller on average um, than a cisgender woman, but they will have a reduction in their muscle mass. So we don't know whether this might be an advantage in, in some sports, but this potentially, like a big frame but small muscles, might be a disadvantage in other sports. And I often use the analogy that um, take a four-wheel drive that's powered by a little hatchback engine and it might look big and strong on the outside, but the power is actually quite low. And we don't know whether this is a disadvantage in, in some sports uh, or whether whether it is an advantage in some sports. But from what we can see, there are, and the FINA spokesperson said this, there are zero trans women competing in elite sport. And if you look at the Olympics, they've had transgender policy since 2004. So that's covered about 70,000 Olympians and only two have been trans women yeah, so I was going to bring that up um, as the chat went on uh, about any examples that we have of a transgender woman dominating an elite level sport. Leah mm. Thomas at the NCAA yeah. Championship made yeah. all three finals but had a first well off Katie Ledecky's record at a fifth and then an eighth. Um, so, yeah, I'm, 
I haven't been able to find any examples either of where a trans woman has dominated or is dominating elite level sport in such a way that would mean that there has to be uh, a policy such as this handed down as quickly as this uh, has been. But I'll get to that in just a minute. As we're looking to educate ourselves here after FINA's decision yeah, sure. to, to ban transgender women, uh, we're speaking to uh, Associate Professor Ada Chung, uh, who's one of our leading endocrinologists. Um, that's one of the levels of science or categories of science that FINA consulted with in order to make this decision. As we're learning a little bit more here, um, Professor Chung, so what is hormone replacement treatment? What does it do and how does it affect the body? Not every trans person wants hormone therapy, but a lot of trans people will need hormone therapy to affirm their gender. Mm. And the whole goal of this is to relieve the distress that people have surrounding the mismatch and the incongruence between their gender and their physical characteristics. I'd encourage you to speak to some trans women to, mm. and trans men and non-binary people to understand the level of distress that people go through before they embark on this and make this decision that's usually long thought out um, and not an easy one to make. And so when people have made this decision, say they decide they need to feminise their body and they're born male at birth, we will give them oestrogen and a testosterone blocker typically to try and get their hormone profile in the typical female range. So they have high estrogen levels and low testosterone levels. And this will cause effects like reduction in muscle, increase in fat mass, their skin changes, their body composition changes, their, their sexual effects, they have a reduction in sexual function, they have a change in their hair, reduction in facial hair and body hair growth. Um, and most markedly, often people describe an improvement in their distress or their gender dysphoria and their psychological functioning. And so it's one step to help people feel more comfortable in their body so that their exterior matches more mm. how they feel inside. Um, what doesn't change with feminizing hormones is things like the voice or the bony shape, the, the genitals, of course. Um, and hormone therapy can't change everything, but it can go a long way. And we know that it improves mental health and psychological functioning. And the opposite occurs in trans people who want to masculinize. We'll give people who are assigned female at birth testosterone to increase their testosterone levels to the typical cisgender male range, and they will masculinize. And they will masculinize because testosterone is such a dominant hormone, markedly. Um, they'll have increase in muscle, facial hair growth, decrease in fat in their body, the body shape of a, of a male, um, lowering of their voice, body hair, facial hair, and roughening of their skin. And the changes that occur typically often are indistinguishable from a cisgender man. So often you may walk past a trans person and have no idea that they're trans. It's not always obvious mm. from the outside, despite what people might think. Professor, this has been, and, and when you remove the extreme at either end of this, conversa of this conversation, um, to take away those who are shouting and thumping the desk the hardest at, at either end, and you get to the middle of it, uh, for people who genuinely come at this with empathy uh, and compassion and care, it is, a, it is a seemingly to be a debate about the balance between inclusion, which sport 
is better at than just about anything in the world. It is there to say this is for everybody. You you, you have a place here. Come and when when you are part of a team, you, you, it is part. It is about belonging to something more than just whether it be your family uh, or your friends. So it, it what it does in the space Absolutely. of inclusivity from a young place is so important. But it all is also likes. It also holds fairness at the heart of what it's all about as well. So this has become a bit of a debate about what's more important to us: inclusiveness or fairness. At the stage Absolutely. that we're at, at the stage that we're currently at, as you say, there's no trans athlete dominating any elite sport. Kieran Perkins spoke to Jared Waitley, and we heard a grab of that today. He believes the decision is slightly ahead of time, given that in Australia we don't have any transgender women competing anywhere near the highest level of swimming, and only a few that he's aware of looking to become part of local swimming clubs, and he's been consulted on how they welcome those people in to, to their club. Do you feel like that this is a bit premature, the decision? I think sport is, as absolutely, as you said, it's a balance between fairness, inclusion, participation, and it's different at different levels of sport. Some of the elite levels have prioritised fairness, as you can see by their um, guidelines. But I think, I hope that this doesn't trickle, trickle down to the community level mm. where absolutely inclusion and participation is critical. Um, we know that trans people aren't, like I treat a lot of trans people as a clinician, as a doctor, and they're not exercising. Um, they're not participating in sport because of fear of discrimination, fear of getting out and being made fun of in the street or, you know, at sporting clubs. What are they get? What bathroom, change rooms, uniforms? What are people going to think? Um, there's so much stigma in the community mm. that trans people fear being themselves. And we know the research actually is pretty, it supports this. So we know research has shown that 70% of you know high school students participate in sport, but only 26% of lesbian, gay and bisexual students participate and only 12% of trans girls participate in any sport. Yet we have enormous rates of suicide. Um, like my research has shown 43% have attempted suicide um, at some point in their lifetime and over 80% experience depression or anxiety. Um, and they have higher rates of heart disease and stroke. And so trans people are a community that really need the mental health and physical health mm. benefits of exercise, sport, belonging in the community. Um, and we need to be breaking down barriers to try and get people at a community level participating. Uh, Professor, and Kate Campbell spoke to that as well. Um, and and again, yep. I thought it's you know she had sided with the, the 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 decision for Fina, but was very went at pains to say that this is not about you not being welcome and uh, and really wanted to to push that point home as well. Whereas other swimmers, Maddie Groves, have said no. Well, despite all you say, you are excluding. Um, mm. So there, there is it is a bit of a war within itself at the moment swimming. But what are the positives? So so are there is from from what you're looking at here the decision that Fina has made. Are there positives to the decision? Is it now, have they got ahead of, is this about that they feel like they've got ahead of something that might be coming um, and then can move from there? Are there positives to the decision? That's a, that's a difficult question because there's no right or wrong answer because mm. the science, I, I'm used to making clinical decisions or policy decisions based on good level evidence or scientific evidence before me, but there isn't in the transgender health space. Okay. There is evidence between differences between men and women, but not studying trans women 
who make up a tiny proportion of the community and even minute proportion of the small community are playing sports, let alone being athletes. And so it's really hard to make decisions when there's no evidence. So they've just made a call based on, and when we don't have evidence, people make calls based on expert opinion, what we know about physiology and, you know, case studies. So hopefully they've spoken to trans women and, I think a blanket ban is is really challenging. Given the few, few trans athletes that there are, I think there's space for individual consideration and, and case by case. There's going to be small trans women, petite trans women, large trans women, um, and it's really challenging, um, when, particularly when we're already working to try and break down barriers for trans yeah. people to participate. Uh, Professor, just two more questions from me. Um, the, the idea of an open class in elite-level competition. Now, there's no guarantee of that from the IOC, so this would be at high-level swimming competitions, an open class category. Um, what's your view on that and what would need to be considered in the implementation of that? A lot of people have said, well, yes, there should be an open class, but I think they haven't acknowledged that there aren't any trans women in elite swimming and there aren't any trans women in competitive swimming. Um, so I don't know who's going to compete in... Um, At the moment, it would just be Leah Thomas, um, as far as I know. There's an argument that Leah actually fits within the realm of the female category because whilst people make assumptions based on Leah's face um, and Leah's physique, I think what her and media reports that she's you know dominating the sport but if you have a look at her time say Mm. for the 500 free it's slower than the pool record it's slower than last year's winner it's slower than the ncaa record um and far slower than all of the uh, men's field whilst it's one person it's hard to make judgments based on one person but you know trans women aren't dominating sport and they're not a threat to women's sport based on what we're seeing professor the other rugby league so i've made a decision today um banning trans women from competing at the international level um so this might be a bit different because it is a, a, a heavy contact sport and we've seen the afl just push pause in the early stages of the aflw um because that was a competition in its infancy um where there was concerns about given the the lack of years behind the players playing that the the idea about the physicality and the contact um was a making sure that it, the environment was as safe as it needed to be given it was so fledgling um in its development phase um, rugby league have made that decision today from the science perspective of it. Do you see the, the rugby league decision a bit differently than the swimming decision, given that it is a, 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 a contact sport? I acknowledge that sporting organizations need to make decisions based on their individual sport. Mm. World rugby have banned trans women for quite some time already. And when I, when I read the guidelines that world rugby put out and the science behind their decision, their decision was not based on any measured data. It was based on modelling. So they'd modelled what they thought a trans woman's height and weight might be. They didn't actually take any measurements from trans women or trans athletes playing rugby. I think you could probably agree that that's not the most scientific way to make a decision. I appreciate you giving us the science uh, from your from from your research. We wanted to try and find out a bit more to educate ourselves a bit, and, and I believe that you've helped us do that. So thank you very much. Pleasure. Thanks, Sam. Associate Professor Ada Chung. Welcome to the Macca's Run with Sam Hargraves. 
With special sauce and juicy beef, grab the one and only Big Mac at Macca's today. I uh, really appreciate uh, those who are engaging uh, after we heard from uh, leading endocrinologist Professor uh, Ada Chung, Associate Professor with uh, Austin Health, uh, just trying to explain some of the science behind the decisions that FINA and other codes are, are making at the moment. In her um, scientific opinion, there's not enough evidence to have made those calls just at this stage and just explain some of the science around it to us. There's a fair few texts coming through. I'll try to get through a few of those in the next hour. Um, Basketball bombshell. Uh, Australia's GOAT has ended a nine-year international retirement to join the Opals World Cup squad. So that would have me believing that the great Lauren Jackson is going to be back for the World Cup. That's massive news. Um, Massive, massive news breaking out of the world of basketball. Sporting Capital is up next. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.